Over the past year or so, I have seen a breakdown coming in Christian worship, and it really is a collision that has been on course with two pathways moving in a same trajectory, but colliding along the way. On one path, I see people expressing in worship out of emotion without regard to biblical integrity in the songs, and on the other path, heading in destruction, I see people who know biblical truth but fail to express that truth in worship to God. Both of those groups are directionally traveling towards destruction, tragically sinning against the command of God to worship Him and Him alone. Such a breakdown has been evident in recent days with Hillsong worship leader and songwriting writer Marty Sampson. If you've been reading the news about him and others like him that have been influencers, there is a growing trend among some of losing their faith, they say. Genuinely losing my faith, he says. And then he circles back and says, well, it's actually remarkably shaky ground. During his adult life or his time in growing up in church, he was part of Hillsong in its original uh, place in Australia. And as you know, that church, because we have spoken about it here, is an unhealthy, theologically ungrounded church. So many have felt uneasy with the movement of church worship and praise. Maybe the songs that flood your playlist are similar to mine if you choose a random Christian playlist you find that there are a lot of different writers out there and songs out there that are not biblically grounded. We've given alert to that to say that if you're listening to some of Hillsong and a good chunk of Bethel music or Jesus Culture or other groups similar to them, the artists and songwriters have theologically error in their lyrics, and you ought to be concerned about that. Some are heretical in their lyrics. So it should not surprise us when someone who is not rooted and grounded in the theological truths of the Bible suddenly makes an announcement to the world that my faith is shaky. You shouldn't be surprised about that. Our faith will be shaky for any of us who are not grounded in the truth of the Bible. So Samson is not the only one who has publicly questioned or renounced his faith in Jesus Christ. He is one of several figures recently. You and I should not be alarmed by that. Jesus gave us forewarning. He said specifically that you and I and all people must build life and faith on biblical truth and the obedience of that truth. And to build our life on anything other than that would be like building our life like a house built on sand. And when adversity comes, wind blows against it, it comes crumbling down. The adversity for Samson and others like him is the culture. The culture coming against people of faith because you and I recognize God's truth, and it is a non-politically correct truth. It is a not, not a truth that varies with the opinions of people. It is what it is. It's truth. And if you have a liberal mindset away from God's Word, 
then you are going to attack people who have a straightforwardness that you believe God's word is as it is and that people ought to measure their life not by their feelings, not by their love for somebody else or whatever their desires are. Their life must be lived on the word of God. And because we state that, because we live that, because we practice that, because we herald that, society comes against us. And when you're building your faith and life on something that is shaky, including praise and worship, then the winds of adversity, when they blow, will cause your life and faith to crumble. And you end up with things like, oh, my faith is shaky, or I'm turning away from my faith in Jesus Christ. So building our lives on faith uh, in music or spiritual experiences or building up our life on Christian services or charity or anything else that might be good building our life on anything other than God's word is foolish and it will crumble so the Lord gives us very specific direction about that put the truths into your mind put them into practice and your life will stand now with that being said let me just remind us for a moment that God is for creativity. He is for arts. He is for beauty. He is for music. He is for the expressions of worship with music. In fact, we dare not remove God from any of those, for each of those find their origin in Him and find Him as the first to practice any of them. Creativity in art is found first by God in creation, is it not? So we certainly recognize that God is the first and the utmost of artists. He is beautiful, and everything he engages in is of beauty. He gives music. In fact, the scripture says that in Zephaniah, he sings over us. So God is very much for singing and for music. He has given talent and ability to all of mankind in ways that we can express ourselves with emotion so God is not against any of that God has made us to be emotional beings he's made us in his image but he's given us a body a soul and a spirit that we might engage with truth with real emotion and express those emotions and we often do it best with art we do it best with song and with singing and so we we come to that truth that God is for art he is for the expression of emotions but what God requires in art and in the expression of motion emotions is that it be grounded richly in his truth and ultimately it brings glory to him so when we are grounded in God's truth the Bible and we are giving him glory in the expressions of our worship or in the expression of usage of art out of that truth then God is for us and for that in fact he says whatever you do do it all to my glory that's key so look at your handout, if you will, and I've given you some models there that help us to communicate, I hope, a little bit. These, this first is a common expression of worship today. What I find is a common model that we've been given red flags. Hey, heads up, I sense this, and you've been sensing it as well, so let's just talk about it. The current model of worship in the expression of praise, what you have from various groups and various churches including if not careful our own you have an origination of art and an expression of worship and praise 
they find that that's the beginning let's come up with some lyrics let's come up with uh, uh, a service and it or originates right there and it yields out perceptions and experiences with God there are many a church that have this as their model as many a Christian group that has this as their concert model their worship experience model is that they have an expression of worship and praise and it gets yielded into perceptions and experiences for the people and people walk out saying man did I ever feel that did you feel God today did you experience God today the problem with that is number one it's unbiblical and number two our perceptions and experiences can be and often are devoid of truth Right, so God gives us a biblical model to follow, and Psalm 98 is one of those expressions of that model. There are many of them in the Scripture, but the biblical model is this. The origination is with God. It's with His truth that He, is, he has told and expressed to us. It or, originates from Him. By the way, God is making His revelation primarily in one of two ways. One is in the person of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And when you know God in the flesh through Jesus Christ you know about God you can read about that from the scriptures and the second thing is the word of God the Bible what he has given to us so all these truths are originating from him God is the origin of truth he is truth and his spirit is the spirit of truth Jesus himself proclaimed I am truth so he is the origin of truth and when we get that when we understand biblical truth and we have a right understanding of God which is theology the study of God we have it rightly from the scripture then that yields forth an expression which is art and worship and praise now that's a biblical model and when we have that biblical model then we are actually gloriously responding and expressing to the goodness of God that we have come to discover in Christ Jesus and in the Bible, the very Word of God. That is the right orientation. So you see that in the Scripture uh, when we are pursuing truth, when we're pursuing God, when we're pursuing His glory, and we get that from the Bible, then we express that that we have received with worship, and we express that with praise. And uh, certainly we find that those expressions are grounded in the scripture and people are encouraged by that. Life is changed because it's rooted and grounded in scripture. So the current trend is to promote a spiritualized music or a spiritually charged worship service. In fact, some of you will, as I have done in the past, you will rank whether we had a good service or not based on your spiritual experience really our ranking for services life group and otherwise is did we come to discover God more did we come to discover his glory more and in that discovery did we express it well in our singing and in our praying and in our resolve to live in its truth God is best served not with a spiritually charged service. God is not even best served with a spiritually charged music. God is best served, and we are too, when it is spirit-filled music, and it is a spirit-filled worship. 
That's when God is most glorified and the people are most encouraged. Now look at this in Psalm 98. I think we can get some insight from this. And uh, God will help us to discover the truth. Look what he says in the first verse. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. This is one of those passages that we would do well to read and reread and reread. I was encouraged about a year and a half ago to take a passage and read it about 30 times before you even begin to study it, to proclaim it. That's not a bad way of going about the word. I did not count up to 30, but I got pretty close. I just quit counting, but just reading and rereading Psalm 98. And when you do that, you, you have words that stand out to you that may not have stood out before. Like the most important word for me in all of that text right there that I received uh, from the Lord was that three-letter word, for. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. So it's not about singing to the Lord. It's not even about singing a new song. It's recognizing the marvelous things that God has done. And when we recognize the marvelous things that He's done, then we'll sing a new song. And look at this newness that God has done. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. You would think that the salvation would be for us, but it's not for us, it's for Him. God is glorified when you and I are saved. And He saves us by the strength that only He has. Uh, Kay sometimes will hand over a jar of preserves or peanut butter or whatever it is. And she wants me to open the jar because she doesn't have the grip strength to do it. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. If I ever don't, I tell her something's wrong with the can. It's not something's wrong with me. Uh, and then I wait till she walks out the door and I take a hammer to it and I get that thing open. But at any rate, uh, when she hands it to me, I don't pick it up with my right hand and twist it with my left. I pick it up with my left and I twist it with my right because I'm right-handed. My right hand grip is stronger. And some of those, you have to put your whole arm into it, don't you? Just really grip that thing down. So the psalmist is recognizing, here's a salvation that God provides for us in His strength. And it's strong enough to be provided for all of us. If you're thinking, God can't save me, I'm too far away. God can't change me, I'm too set in my ways. I'm here to tell you, God has a stronger right hand than you do. He has a stronger arm than you do. And He can bring change to you that you never thought about would ever change and when the psalmist recognized that he began to proclaim but now notice the salvation that he gives with the strength that only God can provides is for him salvation is not for you it's for God's glory God's glory now you and I are the beneficiary of that but it is God who is glorified Nobody would ever be able to say, look how old Gunner's cleaned up his life. I can tell you, I tried to clean up my life, and I was a miserable failure. But until God put his strength to transform my heart and mind and bring about a whole other nature in me by the power of his spirit through Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection and newness of life that he shared with me by his spirit, until that happened, the strength that God was given to me, it didn't happen. So all of that in my life that God is doing is for Him. It's for His glory, and rightfully so. The psalmist has got that. 
He's understanding that, and he says, in that, I'm going to sing a new song. Verse 2, the Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. So he declares, sing a new song. So you notice in the handout, I've given you about four little summary points, and here's one of them. Singing praise to God is a response to something that he has done. It's just recognizing what God has done. That's what we do when we praise. We're not trying to fabricate something. We're not trying to bring about something new to somebody. We're just pointing to the truth that God has given us, the good things that he has done. So the psalmist implores us to sing a new song for God has done marvelous things. The marvelous things are the salvation that he's provided with his own strength. The revelation of that salvation, the revelation of his righteousness to the nations, that he is a covenant-keeping God. In that verse, uh, he says that he has given loving kindness. Uh, when you see that phrase, loving kindness, that hyphenated word, I want you to root back into the 23rd Psalm and so many others uh, that declare the loving kindness what we describe as the loyal love of God it, it's from this original word in the Old Testament called hesed it is really one of the most powerful words in all the Old Testament it is God's covenant love for us it's God not just loving us because he is love but God making a covenant to love us Man, that takes love to a whole nother level. Because the experience that you and I have, we fall in and out of love. <laughs> That's not God's experience. God is love. He makes a covenant to love so he doesn't fall out of love with you. I had a real hard time understanding that growing up and in my 20s, through my teens and into my 20s and beyond, just wondering if God still loves me. I just did this. I just did that. I just rebelled, been in a season of rebellion, been on a path of rebellion. And the call to question is, does God love me? Well, this loving kindness of God is a covenant love that he establishes with us, not us with him. He establishes it with us and he says, I love you and I will keep on loving you. And when the psalmist recognized that kind of love, that kind of righteousness, that kind of faithfulness, that kind of salvation, he's like, sing a new song. Sing a new song to the Lord, for these things are marvelous to us. Now, you notice I've given you one of those same diagrams, and I've just left the blank there because I want you to take time to think about what I'm saying to you. And if you're dozy right now, it's hard to write and doze at the same time. So get your pen out and write these words in here's what he's pointing to he's pointing to the salvation the righteousness this hesed loyal love of god and his faithfulness so when the psalmist recognizes these four aspects to the measure that god has revealed them to him it yields forth singing a new song he just can't help but sing about it now guess what the new song is about the new song is about 
salvation and righteousness and loyal love and God's faithfulness. So we ought to sing new songs. I don't know about you, but you might be like me in that I'm driving down the road and sometimes I just break out in song that is a new song. I'm making it up as I go. Now, you might say, well, Gunnar, that's a little weird. You have come to understand my weirdness long before today, okay? And Kay will gripe at me from time to time because I'll pick up an old song and I'll throw words into it that are not in the original lyrics because I'm that kind of creative guy that has very weak memory. <laughs> so she'll get on to me. She said, Randy, that's not what that song says. You've you got to sing the lyrics to the song. I'm like, no, 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 this is my song. I can change it up as I want to change it up. But sometimes, I don't do it in front of her, don't do it in front of others, just between me and God, I'm singing to him driving down the road. A new song. Can't remember the song later. It's a new song from the expression of my spirit. Maybe it came from that morning's reading. Maybe it came from some truth that the spirit of God through the word of God has been really encouraging me. And I just want to sing to him. That's what the psalmist is doing singing a new song to him now it's not hard for us to imagine this kind of singing for the psalmist and it shouldn't be hard for us to imagine that kind of singing for us because the song comes out of the depth of our insight to the bible and who god is and let me just throw this out here that music and worship should never be devoid of truth and intellect. Now, hold on to this, because I want you to dive with me a little bit here. When we remove intellect from worship, failing to engage the biblical truths that God has given us insight to, great consequences occur. So when you remove your engaged mind, the intellect, and you just worship, in a less intellectual way then you are at risk for four different things number one you can be at risk for having a hyper emotional experience you're just engaging without the intellect you're just singing and there are songs that are meant to give you that experience that are meant to stir your heart without first stirring your mind that is a risky place to be. So if you disengage the intellect from your worship, one of the things that you've got to be careful of is that you will have a hyper-emotional experience. Or if you disengage intellectually from the Scripture when you're worshiping, it might be that you are engaged in the truth without emotion. You are emotionless. But the psalmist is saying he's thinking about it. And in his thinking, he has recognized the marvelous things that God has done, and he cannot help but emote in worship in singing a new song. You and I are supposed to engage in the Scripture such that a song comes from us. We engage mentally. Secondly, if you are disconnected intellectually in your worship then you will probably not be rooted in the truth that worship requires or it might be that you will be led away to 
untruthful understanding of the Bible and an untruthful theology of God. Or it might be that God is robbed of the very glory that belongs to Him. So you and I ought to be engaged in our intellect as we are worshiping Him. And an expression of that thought, understanding God, comes a real emotional, heartfelt way of expressing to Him. I wish I could draw. I wish I could paint. I wish I could play an instrument. For those of you who can do those things, let your art, let your expression of that come from your understanding of God and flourish with that truth because you have intellectually engaged the truth and it comes out expressed in the, in the art of worship. All right, so the second phrase that I want you to focus in on is in your handout. True worship involves head, heart, and hands. And I think that order is a pretty good order. It involves our head, our heart, and our hands. It involves our head because we are purposeful to know it and to think about the truth that God has revealed to us from the Scripture. The genuine realities of God that have been given to us in Christ and now are written for us in the pages of the Old and New Testament. And from that understanding with our head, we engage those realities with our heart, with the essence of our being, and then through our hands in that we purposefully obey them, act out those truths, and do them. And that really is a greater definition of worship. Worship takes place on Monday morning just as well as it does on Sunday morning. It takes place with singing. It takes place with going. It takes place with doing. It's when I've engaged the truth of God and with a heartfelt understanding of that, moved in my heart with emotion, I respond to be obedient in my hands and with my doing, with my going, with my speaking. Is that making sense to you? It's meant to be at that measure, that level. And so... With our whole heart, we act in ways that are obedient. Now, move forward with me in verses 4 and following. Kevin's already read it to us, but let me just reread so that we get the context. He says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. If you're one to mark in your Bible at all or in your handout, just circle the word noise because that's a big word that we need to understand in this text, in the context of the text. He says, break forth in joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre. Now, he's not talking about the person standing next to you. Not talking about that. It's a different spelling. He's talking about a string instrument. Sing praises to the Lord with the instruments that are of strings, with the lyre, with the sound of melody. The sound of melody is the, is the harmony, the parts that get sung. He says, sing it with trumpets and with the sound of the horn. The horn, by the way, is the shofar. It's the ram's horn. Make a joyful noise. There's that word. Circle it again. Before the Lord, the King. So he says, let the seas roar. All of creation is going to get in on this. All that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it, let rivers clap their hands and let the hills sing for, the, for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. Now notice what's happening here. The praise of the psalmist and the praise of all creation is coming for two things. Number one, it's coming because God is a saving God and it's coming because God is a just God who judges in righteousness and equity. So he says, seeing for God will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. So we are to joyfully shout to the Lord and burst out in song of praise to him. 
Have you heard it said of people that don't sing well? Well, you know, I'm making a joyful noise to the Lord. You heard that before? Or maybe somebody on the platform is trying to encourage everybody to sing, and he knows that some of them don't sing very well. And so he says, oh, what God commands of us is to make a joyful noise. That is not what this is talking about. It sounds good. It might be encouraging, but that is not what God is talking about. The noise is from the word ruah. And it is the sound that somebody makes in victory over an enemy. So you may or may not be a fan of Cam Newton. Uh, I want that guy to be a follower of Jesus Christ and his heart to be given to Christ. It uh, doesn't seem to be the case. But when Cam, I love to watch that man play football. When Cam makes it across the, the end zone, he's in the zone of celebration. He will often scream, and man, does he have a mouth. He can often scream in ways that the whole stadium hears him. That is ruha. That is the word that the psalmist uses. It's a scream of triumph. It's a scream of victory, even a calling out and shout over the enemy. That's the word that the psalmist uses when he says, make a noise before the Lord and bust out in singing. That's the word. Now, we are in a Southern Baptist church, and it is not our tradition to shout in worship, but Psalm 98 says, shout to the Lord. Break out in a joy-filled song of praise to Him when you recognize, you thought about it, you've come to conclusion about Him. Bust out and make some noise. Do it privately and do it publicly. Now, I would say the private is the place that you ought to start. I'm talking about, I had a guy tell me the other day, he said, Randy, I sense the Spirit of God calling me to a depth of praise to the Lord. I went deep into the woods, and I started shouting to the Lord. He said, by the time it was over with, I was shouting, my tears were flowing, my nose was running, I was hooping and hollering to the Lord, and I say, praise the Lord to that. That's what he's talking about. When you are overwhelmed with the truth of God, you just have to let that come out in a great anthem of praise and song or a shout. But now verse 5 is calling for us to do that corporately. That we would do it together. Now let me just say the shouts work better when they are done together. You have no problem shouting together. You can be at Bryant-Denny Stadium. You can be at Jordan Air. It doesn't matter if there's 90 to 100,000 people in the stadium and everybody is shouting. You are comfortable shouting. But if the PA announcer is telling you some of the introductional, introductory stuff and you stand up and start shouting and you're the only one, you're a weirdo, okay? But when you do it collectively together, then everybody is... Uh, in the cultural norm accepted that the same person that was shouting when it was just him is now accepted because we're all shouting together 
So in this psalm, it's a congregational call to shout. Now, if you shout alone, and you're not Brandon Snyder, we are all going to look at you. Brandon gets by with that somehow, but the rest of us would be considered weirdos. And where you shout is important. When you shout. If you shout in the midst of our worship to God and our praise to Him, and the Spirit of God has enlightened you to a truth, and you shout here in the midst of that with others, okay. But if they're cranking up at Call Your Butler in the garden and you start shouting there, that's not quite okay. So with whom you shout and when you shout is pretty important. And the psalmist is recognizing that. And he's calling us to that. It may not be in our tradition, but you can't get over the fact that the Lord over and over and over calls for the congregation to shout. I could give you a number of them. I'm only going to mention three. Psalm 32. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So here the qualifier of being a shouter is one who is filled with joy and has an upright heart. That's it. Or Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Psalm 71, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. So here's somebody who's understand the redemption of God, and he can't help but shout for joy. So what do you do when you shout? What do you say? Well, I think you ought to follow in suit with the Bible. The Bible has people shouting hallelujah and glory to God and worthy is the Lamb and holy is the Lord and you are exalted O God and praise the Lord and bless the Lord how about just finding a phrase that you found shouted in the scripture and just latch hold of it as God expresses his truth to you and you begin to celebrate that just proclaim it to him and then expression is essential to praise and worship God you got to have expression to it. We can have an attitude of worship and have a heart of praise, but worship and praise aren't really complete until they are expressed. In fact, joy and delight are incomplete until they are expressed. Beauty is not fully complete for the observer until the observer expresses it let me give you a case in point there are times and often that I look at my wife and I catch her at a time that it just dawns on me her beauty if I keep that to myself and don't exclaim that in any way she does not change in any way in her beauty she is still beautiful whether I express it or not but if I see her beauty and I make an expression of that beauty, then it takes my experience to another level. If I say to her, you are one GLM. Good looking mama. You are one GLM. Then I not only attribute the glory, but I take the expression and the experience of that glory to another level for me. 
So the beauty of God in creation in those moments where you just experience the creative art of God in creation and you can't help but notice it and you are just struck by it, it takes it to another level when you say, wow. It doesn't change the beauty. It just changes your experience with the beauty as you express it. So when you and I come to truth from the scripture, and we understand that truth and its glory and its prevailing and we then express it it takes it to another level and that expression is worship or praise it's meant to be expressed it'll help you in your experience there so praise and worship that the psalmist is commanding as a response to this great expression of God's goodness his steadfast love his faithfulness his righteousness his judgment with equality. It's all of that. So maybe you've come into this place and you've just done things out of routine. Singing songs that you've sung before. You don't really have to think about it. I'm going to ask you to re-engage your intellect. Think about the truths of God. Be wowed by them. And then put them into an expression just praise and worship when I look around and I see you standing there and not singing then not only do I know that God is robbed of the glory that is due him but I realize that you are disengaged intellectually from the truth of God and your heart hasn't been gripped by the truth that your mind has engaged and thereby you are emotionless but then when I look around and I see you who are giving thought to the truths of God and those thoughts have so ingrained in your thinking that it has changed your heart and you begin to put emotion out of those truths with expressions on your face and in demonstrative ways you are worshiping and praising God that my friends not only is God glorified but I am encouraged as I look around and see you do that that is the measure of what Sunday morning ought to be like a new song sung to a God whose goodness and grace and greatness is known to you taken out of context this won't make sense but worship is not great worship is to God who is great and when we recognize the greatness of God and our worship is good when Jesus was here he challenged mankind about worship some who thought it was about a place it was about a practice and Jesus was giving them a redirection he said the hour is coming now here it is Jesus says when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth there's mind and heart engaged they're going to know the truth and out of the truth with spirit they're going to worship for the father is seeking such people to worship him today God has sought such people to worship him did he find it in you
Will he find it in you? Will he find it in me? God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So it's not just spirit that we worship, it's spirit and truth. It's not just truth that we worship within, it is spirit and truth. That God wants us to have an intellectually engaged mind and in that an engaged heart and from that comes worship that is glorifying to him and that's what he is seeking. Not an experience, not chills on your back, not hair standing up on your neck. He's seeking for you and me to know the truth declared by him in his word and through Jesus Christ. And in coming to that truth, letting it engage our heart and expressed in our praise and worship, even in our shouts. That's what God is seeking. And may he find it in us today. Would you bow your head? I pray, Father, that the truth that we have discovered today would really transform our understanding of worship and what it is. I pray, Lord, that our worship will be glorifying to you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us by the spirit of truth to engage truth and let it steep into our heart. And let it be expressed out of our mouth with songs and shouts in a way that is glorious to you. And so help us, God, I pray.